understand that the songs that we sang this morning were thoroughly biblical, rooted and grounded in Scripture. I know sometimes we might have a hard time believing what we're singing, but we really, really, really do need to believe what God's saying um, and take that to heart. And those songs then, when we sing them, we will sing, as the Scripture says, in the spirit and in the truth um, that they resonate with. And that is an act of worship, taking God at His Word and believing what God said um, in the words of those hymns and the words of the Scriptures. Ephesians chapter 1, I don't know what this is going to turn into before it's all said and done because I've been, I keep getting drawn back here, but for right now this is just going to be one sermon, but I ain't sure, all right? <laughs> um, Ephesians chapter 1, begin reading in verse 1. Um, this which is just an introduction, verse 1 and 2, and the heart of what I want to talk to you about is, is begins in verse 3. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints, saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. And let me say, I think Paul initially delivered this letter to the church at Ephesus, but that last sentence, that he intended for it to be distributed among all of Asia, among all the churches of all the ages. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Just an introduction of this letter. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, after that you had believed, after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Pretty much all week this week, this passage has been on my mind, but I'm going to be the first one to tell you, I did not want to preach it because it's hard to read and it's hard to preach. If you, I'm not a Greek scholar and I don't ever try to pretend to be a Greek scholar, um, but I do study and look in the Strong's Concordance. I use Blue Letter Bible a lot to kind of break down the words. But in the original Greek manuscripts from which this was translated, verse 3 all the way um, down through verse 14, 
is one long continuous sentence. Um, and the King James Version tried to break it up a little bit by putting some punctuation in there, ending some thoughts and beginning some new thoughts. <laughs> but it's hard to read too. It's a long, continuous thought process that the Apostle Paul was just pouring out his heart. Now, if we tried to break apart every little phrase in this, there's a lot of theological dirt here. There's a lot of, there's a lot of ground theologically um, that we could try to cover this morning, and I'm not going to do that because if we pick this apart piece by piece, phrase by phrase, we could be here for a long time. And so my goal this morning is not to give a thorough exposition of everything that we've seen in this text this morning, but to give you the broader picture, which I believe is the portrait of who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I think Paul is trying to articulate. Who you are as saints. Who you are as those people who are in Christ Jesus. It paints a portrait of, what, of how heaven views the believer in Christ. Let me, do, let me introduce it like this. Do you know the number one object that's being photographed in the world today? It's the selfie. 93 million selfies are taken and posted every day. Now, you know and I know this, if 93 million were taken and posted, then there probably are five or six hundred billion that were taken and not posted. Because we, we don't post the first selfie we take. <laughs> we, in fact, some of you ladies got a rule, don't you post that unless you let me see it first. Uh, Cindy and I had an opportunity to get away last weekend for our anniversary. And... Um, <laughs> And it was, I spent more time on the beach Monday than I've ever spent on the beach. It was cool and I could endure it. Um, even, I sat under the shade still. But, but um, I, I'm a people watcher. And I told Cindy early on, I said, this is a beach for old people. And I guess we qualify as that now. Because they treated us just like we were one of them. Um, but there was a family that came out on the beach later in the afternoon. And they were, they were, um, the, the, the girls, they were younger ladies, but they were dressed in long flowing dresses with flowers all over them. But one of them intrigued me. She had her selfie stick with her phone. And she took 93 billion pictures. <laughs> now later she had on this big hat that was floppy. And, um, and, and she had, that wind had to catch that hat just right to turn it back like she wanted it. And her head had to be tilted exactly the right way. And she'd take it and look at it and take it and look at it and take it and look at it. And she'd walk this way and get this background picture. Y'all quit looking at each other right now. You're fixing to get in trouble, all right? <laughs> I, I can see y'all turning your heads, looking at people beside you. And you're going to get in trouble, I'm telling you. We, when we take those selfies, we're looking for perfect light. Uh, that lady, ha she had to have the perfect wind blowing the, just the right direction to accentuate every part of her that she thought looked good. Smile. Just right. You know how some of us do? We got to make sure our chin is lifted up enough so we don't get that. Hey, sometimes when the deer ain't moving in the woods, I'm doing nothing. 
See, I'm, I'm not, I'm not anti-selfie. I take selfies. In fact, I got a few of mine. Did you get them? So here's my selfies. Y'all going to post them next week anyway. I worked hard for that, and that's my first 360 selfie ever. It doesn't do it there, but it does on Facebook. I use filters. That's my idea of a gangster. Another. Uncle Si. That's my, that, that, if I could grow a beard, I'd look like that now, but I can't grow a beard. Last one. The famous one. Huh? That's my duck lip. That's my duck lip self. I'm listen to me. I want you to see I want you to hear my heart this morning. I'm not I'm not anti-selfie. I don't think if you take selfies that you have some kind of psychological disorder, but if you look at that one, I probably would qualify. Uh, that was just cuz I thought everybody else taking duck lips was funny and I said, "Watch this." Now, I'm not anti-selfie, but I do believe that our infatuation with self-portraits can be a revelation of some things that are going on in our heart that we struggle with. Now, don't, don't get mad. Don't let me hair lip you now, okay? I'm, what I'm, I, I, I think that our infatuation sometimes with getting somebody to like this, share this, follow this is a revelation of some questions that we have about ourselves. Sometimes I think we have, and I think all of us do this, myself included, we have a little bit of an identity crisis. And when, and when I say that, what I mean is we ask these age-old questions, who am I? Um, am I... Am, am, I, am I valuable? Am I worthy? Am I loved for who I am? And, and sometimes, sometimes the selfie culture is, is, a, is, a, is fishing for affirmation. It, it's fishing for acceptance. It's fishing for approval. It's, it's I want you to like me for what you see. And I, and I think that whole business of trying to gain likes, shares, and followers can become a way that we, that we try to answer that question. You follow me? We're trying to answer that question using other people's judgments of us. But I want to tell you, that ain't a good way to answer that question. It just ain't a good way. My daddy says all the time, you got 5,000 followers on Facebook. I don't know how many I got. I, don't, I honestly don't ever look at it. And I'm like, I don't know a hundred of them. <laughs> and I think we've, we have made it a culture where all these people are peeping into our lives that we don't know. You'd have been put in jail for that 20, 30 years ago. But now all these people that don't know us, we want them to affirm us, to approve us, to like us, to share us. If we answered those questions, if we answered that question, who am I, based on the, 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 the temporal 
external things that the world will judge us by. If we answer that question, who am I, based on how we look and how people receive how we look, if we answer that question based on what we have, because sometimes we take pictures of our stuff, if we, if we answer that question based on how many friends that we have, it just all that means is that we subject our idea of our self-worth to, to things that are constantly changing, to things that are variable in every sense of the word, because you're not always going to look like you look now. You're not always going to have what you have now. Um, your friends, some are going to come and stay, some are going to come and go. Um, and, and when we get that sense of value, who am I, based on somebody else's perspective, somebody's constantly changing perspective, because let's face it, opinions change, fads change, styles change, um, age changes us. There are a lot of things in our life that are constantly changing. If we answer that question based on somebody else's opinion of something temporary and changing in our life, um, then we're going to be on a roller coaster of identity crisis. So if you really want to answer that question, who am I? As Christians, we really do need to connect this idea of who am I with something that is eternal and unchanging. And the way that we do that is just we rephrase it a little bit by simply asking, who does God say that I am? Because sometimes, honestly, how I view myself is not accurate. How other people view me is not accurate. Uh, I get misinformation coming from a lot of places. Brother Mitch talks to us about this when he comes and preaches. There, there have always been two voices speaking in the world, the voice of God and the voice of the enemy, and they speak to us different ways, but, they, but, but both use other people to speak into our lives. So you understand, some of the voices that you're hearing in your own head uh, are coming from the voice of the enemy. You are, you are evaluating your self-worth by what he says about you or by what he tells somebody else to say about you. I remember one day eating lunch with Brother Mitch and I said something. I'm not going to tell you who I said it about, but I said something about somebody that had been close to me in, in, in connection. I'm going to leave it at that. And uh, I, was, I was angry and hurt, and I spoke out of that anger and hurt about them and he said, who told you to say that? And I said, I told me to say that. He said, no, that didn't come from who you are. He said, I know you well enough to know that didn't come from your heart. And I had to, I had to acknowledge, uh, yeah, you're right. That's the voice of the enemy causing me to make an evaluation of somebody that was not accurate, was not true. So if we really want to answer that question, we need to say, instead of who am I, who does God say I am? What is the basis of how God sees me? What is the basis of why God values me? What is the basis of why God loves me? And can I tell you this morning, it doesn't have anything to do with how you look. It has absolutely nothing to do with how many possessions that you have, with what kind of pedigree you carry with your name. It doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are or what color your skin is or what nation you were born in. It has no, none of that has any bearing whatsoever on how God sees you. 
And I'm, I'm going to put it real simple how God sees you. He sees you hidden in Christ. If you look at that first verse that we read in verse 3, it's, it, is a, it, is an effort, it is just praise pouring off of the Apostle Paul's lips. Blessed, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Because of our connection with Christ, because we are hidden in Christ with God, all those things are, the Bible says that, that we are in Christ and Christ is in us and that God views us as he views Christ. We are hidden in him, therefore, all of our identity, uh, how does God see me? How does he value me? How, how does he, why does he love me? Can I know all these things? Sure, you can know all these things. If you are in Christ by faith, that's how you get in Christ. If you are in Christ by faith, then listen, all of your identity, all of your standing before God is found in Jesus' identity and in Jesus' standing before God, how God views his Son his only begotten son, he views every one of his sons and daughters that are hidden in him. So who am I? Here's what the Apostle Paul said. I'm, I'm not going to make it complicated. Um, I don't need to add a whole lot to what he said. But I, I want you to see, listen. If God had a refrigerator, your picture's on it. And so I want you to take this outline and stick it to your refrigerator. Because that's what God looks at every day when he looks at you. And when he looks at me. And it don't matter what I think. And it don't matter what you think. It matters what he thinks. And I'm going to tell you, all my kids have had bad days. Sarah had a bad day, and I, she caught us, and I was, she was upset. And I'm, I told her, Mama, love it, we got to go. And I didn't do nothing but sit on her bed and hold her. She didn't see herself the same way that I saw her. And I'm telling you, our Heavenly Father, our Daddy in Heaven, when He looks at His children, the Bible says all who receive Christ, he has given them power to become the sons of God. He looks at us like he looks at Christ. And Paul just enumerated it for us. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going uh, to go back and read every verse again, but the little notes are there if you want to go back and read these verses. Uh, and as I said, I'm not trying to capture every little nuance in the verse. I'm not going to try to define every word in the verse. But I just want you to say, this is who God says that you are. Um, this is what Paul said. This is that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places that God looks down from heaven upon us and he sees all of these things present in our lives because of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, I'm chosen. Verses 4 and 5, I am chosen. In fact, the Bible says this, that before the creation of the world, God chose His Son to be our Savior. He was the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. Before man ever sinned, God had the solution, and that solution was found in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that before the world was ever founded, God chose Christ as the Savior, and He chose all who received Christ to be, a, to be adopted into His family as children of God. 
He chose us in Christ and made us. And this is hard for me. It's hard for me. He made us holy and blameless before Him in love. Is Jesus holy and blameless? Absolutely. I don't have no problem seeing Jesus' holiness and blamelessness. But this passage of Scripture says that He's blessed us. That He chose us in Christ to be adopted into His family so that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. God chose us as His children, adopted us into His family, and views us as holy and blameless in His sight as children of God because of Christ. And the Bible says that He did that because He wanted to do that. Why did God do that? It says it in verse 5. He predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Christ Jesus to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. Why does God love us like He loves us? Because He wants to. It's His desire to choose us. It pleased Him to choose us. Man, I, I've always slunk at sports. And when they were picking teams, I was usually one of the last ones standing. But you let somebody, whoever it was that was picking teams, who knew me and my lack of athletic ability... And who, knowing that, looked at me and said, I'll take him first. <laughs> Son, I'd blow my chest up like. And I'd play as hard as I could play and still flunk. I don't think I ever hit a ball in baseball. I'd try to draw a walk or try to get hit. That was the best I could do. But if you picked me first, I was going to give it my all. Now, here's what, here's what usually happens. Whoever's picking teams knew I had no athletic ability, but they also know I make up for that. He's my friend. I love him. I've chosen him. God chose us. My cousin Ray, he's fond of telling folks, you all just born, I chose. Your mom and dad didn't have no choice about you. <laughs> they just got what they got. My mom and daddy chose me and paid for me. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. My daddy in heaven looked at me and chose me. Looked at you and chose you. Looked at you and paid for you to be his child. You are chosen. Not only are you chosen, but verse 6 says that you're accepted. That is the opposite of being rejected. It was interesting when I was looking at that verse. It basically says that God's grace lavished us with grace. That it was grace upon grace. It was the grace of God that moved God to pour out His grace on us. That, that we might be accepted in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The favor that rested on Christ is the favor that rested on us. When Jesus, when God the Father looked down from heaven at Jesus' baptism and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I want to tell you something. Every man, woman, boy and girl sitting in this building this morning that has received Christ as their personal Savior, the Father looks over the portals of glory and says, These are my beloved children in whom I am well pleased. Do we ever do bad? Yeah, we do. Does, does he ever stop loving us? No, never. We are accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does God do that? Because he wants us to be the trophies of his grace. Look what I've done with who I've bought. Look who I've done with who I've chosen to the praise of the glory of his grace. That's why God did it. So that when we stand before him in heaven in his presence, it will be because of his good grace toward us in that he accepted us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will tell you this morning, let the whole world reject you. The world rejected Christ. Let the whole world reject you, but your father has accepted you. And he loves you just like he loves his beloved son, Jesus. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. Verse 7. The blood of Jesus bought our freedom. We are no longer under sin's debt. We have been reconciled to God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That means he's not angry with us. He's not upset with us. He's not disappointed in us. We are forgiven of all of our sins in the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how much you owed. His grace was sufficient. His grace is sufficient. His grace will always be sufficient. It don't matter what your sin debt looked like when he nailed it to the cross. It was paid in full according to the riches of his grace. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has cleansed us from all sin. Jesus paid it forward. Paid it forward. He, he, y'all, I love it when I get to the drive-thru or I go to the restaurant and somebody says, the waitress or the people behind the cashier said, people ahead of you called it for you. Now, I'm, I made the mistake one time saying, well, I'm going to catch it for the car behind me. My bill was like eight bucks and the car behind me was like 40. I said, let me make a deposit on it then. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame that set that right down at the right hand of the Father. The joy that was set before him is that he's paying forward the forgiveness of the sins of all who trust him. And listen to me, I know it's hard for us to wrap our mind around. My sin debt's paid in full. Past, present, and future because of my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You think your sin today surprises him? He ain't never been caught off guard by anything. He knew your failures and your shortcomings and your weaknesses before he ever called you to himself. Before he ever chose you. That doesn't change his opinion of you. In Christ Jesus, your sins are forgiven. There's nothing left for us to pay. The only thing left for me to pay is thank you. That's all, that's all I owe is thank you, God, for the miracle of your grace that forgave me of all my sins. I have, a, I have revelation of God's will, verses 8 and 9. We know stuff about God 
and about his plan for our life that the world does not know that they are not privileged enough. Y'all ever heard unfo- y'all ever heard unsaved people try and tell us what the Bible says? They don't know. Listen to me, they don't know. Because the Bible says that the natural man cannot receive the things that were given to us by the Spirit of God because they're not naturally discerned. They're spiritually discerned. And God has given us insight into His Word that the unsaved world does not yet have because they don't possess the Spirit of God in order to understand um, the knowledge and the will of God. Now, I remember this, and, and you ought to remember it too. When you were born again, I remember I've read the Bible as a kid all of my life, my mom and dad. I was raised in a Christian home. I've heard all the Bible stories I've, a, 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 a thousand times before I ever abandoned and surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the book, the Bible to me was interesting, uh, but it was also very, very confusing in a lot of ways. But I remember when I first began to read the scripture through spiritual eyes. Wow. There are some things that I had read a thousand times before. That all of a sudden I'm like, how glorious, how, how awesome, how magnificent is that? How did I miss it? I didn't have the eyes to see it. I didn't have the ears to hear it. I was not yet privileged to understand it because it was spiritual. I can tell you there are days that I, and I'm sitting in my office reading a book and I still... I, I will read things and weep over the goodness of God revealed to us through His Word and by His Spirit. And having said that, a whole lot of the stuff that we know about God's will, about who He is and what His plan is, seems foolish to the world, including the preaching of the cross. You know what the Apostle Paul said? I'm here to preach Christ and Him crucified. To the world, that sounds foolish. But to those that believe, it's the power of God and the salvation. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Uh, we have been given revelation of God's will. I have, I know God. I know God. I don't just know about God. I know God on a personal level. I have a revelation of who God is. I have a revelation of what God is going to do. Because I'm his child. Y'all ever had somebody come? Somebody that was high, somebody that was important, maybe a boss man, maybe a parent. Let me tell you something. But this is just between me and you. Don't you feel privileged? You're sharing this information with me and you ain't sharing it with nobody else. God God has shared some things with us. As his children that the world don't know yet. Now, we can introduce the world to those things. But they won't become real to them until they believe those things. Regarding Christ. I can tell you now, when I read the word and study the word, it brings light into darkness. It brings life into death. It brings joy where there has been sadness. It brings peace when I have been anxious. That is the revelation of God's will to his children. Fifth, I have union in Christ's kingdom. Now verse 10 is a little bit difficult to translate, but if you read it in some other translations, I think it will become clearer for you. It was for me. 
It's talking about dispensation. Listen to me. This is what that verse says, essentially. There is coming a day and a time when all aspects of creation, every part of it, will be placed under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and He rules and reigns supremely over it for all eternity. You understand the Bible tells us about a time in the future that there won't be any more sin, there won't be any more death, there won't be any more sickness, there won't be any more suffering, there won't be any of those things anymore. No sorrow, no sadness. Now that day's not here, is it? But it's come. And because we are already in the kingdom. Listen, one day Christ is going to rule over, over all the earth and all the heaven. In fact, I, I believe at the end of the tribulation there won't be one unbeliever left alive on this planet. And Christ will establish his kingdom on the earth and that kingdom will go on for all eternity. But now here's the thing. We're already in it. We've not seen it all come to pass yet, but we're already in it. We're already connected with the kingdom. We're already, we're already kingdom citizens. We're already experiencing Romans chapter 14 verse 17. We're already experiencing righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost that God gives to us. That is the kingdom of heaven. We're already living in it. We're already citizens of it. Time and creation is marching toward the full final establishment of the kingdom of Christ on earth. But we are already citizens of it. We're already getting glimpses of his glory. We're already receiving blessings that are part of his kingdom. When you feel joy, you know what that is? It's part of that heavenly blessing that's been put on you. When you feel peace, it's part of what God has given you. When you walk in righteousness, it is part of your citizenship of heaven's kingdom. You're in it forever. It's not going to go away. It's not going to crumble and fall. The world's kingdoms are going to end. The book of Revelation says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And we shall reign with him forever and ever. We have union. I have an inheritance in Christ's kingdom. The Bible says that we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus. Now, if the Bible says, and it does, that God is going to give all authority to Christ, put everything under his feet, And we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Does that not mean that God is going to put all things under our feet with Christ? And let me, let me illustrate it like this. When God put man in the garden, he said, exercise dominion. I've given you authority as my image bearers to be fruitful and multiply my glory in the earth. Now, we lost it through sin, but we regained that through Christ. And we are heirs and joint heirs with him. And so, listen to me, this world, this earth is our inheritance. What does the Bible say about the meek? They shall inherit what? The earth. 
this world belongs to God and the fullness of it. And, and because it belongs to God, because, it belong, because, because God has given that authority to rule and reign over it to Christ, and because we are heirs and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ, He's giving us back our dominion. He's giving us back our rightful place in that inheritance. Now, I, I, I know um, that there is, there is a mansion made for me. There is a crown, not just for me, but the Bible says to all of those who love His appearing. Are you looking for and longing for the Lord Jesus Christ? Hey, you got a crown coming. The Bible says that. Uh, are you looking for a home uh, that has not been made with hands? Well, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you can be also. We have, a, we have an eternal allotment in heaven itself. And, 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 if, you, and if you look at verse 11 and 12, He's working all these things that we're going through right now. He's working all these things together to bring us into that inheritance with all of its rich rewards. And I, every, every act of faith and every act of obedience lays up another treasure in heaven for us, which Jesus told us to do. Give a cup of cold water in my name, you're not going to lose that reward. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Moth won't corrupt it. Um, the rust won't destroy it. Lay it up in heaven. We have an inheritance with Christ that can never be taken away. And the last thing is this. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. In the old, in the old days when the, when the King signed a proclamation. In fact, you find it in the book of Daniel. They used wax, poured on the parchment, used the king's ring, stamp his image in it. You can't undo that. Listen, Daniel was Daniel was a subject of some trickery. Darius sealed that thing with his ring. That anybody that prays to any other entity or king got to die. Darius loved Daniel. But he said, Daniel, I can't undo this. I, I sealed it. I put my stamp on it. I pray the God that you pray to delivers you. He did. When you trusted Christ as your personal Savior, God sealed you with His Spirit. He put Himself in you. Now, I know that we can't fully wrap our minds around this, but Jesus already lives in you, in me. The Holy Spirit... Paul used the words, he is the earnest of our inheritance. He is the, he is the down payment on our re eternal redemption. It, he is our guarantee that everything that God has promised us will come to pass. The Bible, the Apostle Paul said, 
that in Christ Jesus, all the promises of God in Him are yes and amen. Settled. And when Paul said that he has given us the earnest of his spirit, the down payment of heaven, it is the down payment of everything that he has promised us. Y'all ever have doubt creep in your heart? Ever have fear creep in your heart? I do too. And then I get back in the book and I read passages like this. And them days when I mess up and I didn't think like I need to be thinking, I didn't speak like I need to be speaking, I didn't behave like I need to be behaving, I think, boy, you about worthless. And I go back to the book. And I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit say, I got you. I got you. He's got you. He's got me. He's got us. If you are in Christ, put... There's the list. If you are in Christ, which simply means this. Paul said it. In whom you also trusted. After that you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, after you believe, you were sealed. Have you heard the word of the gospel and believed that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God? who died on the cross not for his sins but for your sins and my sins. Do you believe that he was buried in a borrowed tomb and that three days later he arose victorious over death, hell, and the grave never to die again? Then the Bible says that you're in him. You're in him. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. So if you're in Christ, that's what you have. That's who you are. Who am I? I'm, I'm chosen. I'm accepted. I'm forgiven. I know what God wants for my life. I have a union. I'm connected with Christ's kingdom for all eternity. I have an inheritance that is going to come true. Every part of it, I'm sealed forever by the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, and one day he's going to complete that work of redemption in us. He has already saved us in our spirit. He is saving our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. He's going to glorify our body. That is part of redemption's plan. It ain't all finished yet, but it will be done because we've already been given the down payment on it. That's what God says we have. We have, listen, you can't say, well, I'm chosen, but I don't know if I'm accepted. No, the Bible says all of those things are ours. All of them. In fact, you go all the way to the last one. The Bible says if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Him. You don't have one of those. You have all of those. So we're equally blessed, which means this. I'm not more important than you. You're not more important than me. I'm not more cherished than you. You're not more cherished than me. We, are, we share the blessings of His kingdom Equally, the Bible says God is no respect of persons. Um, I believe that God looks down on each one of us and sees these seven wonderful, incredible blessings that we have in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, let me tell you this. 
If you're not in Christ, you don't have any of those. Not yet. If you've not placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have it. Not yet. Now we get into all them words about predestined and, and, and foreknowledge and all that stuff. But here's what I believe the Bible means by all that. God chose from before the foundation of the world to save all who put their faith in Christ. If you put your faith in Christ, then God chose you in Christ to be a recipient of eternal salvation. But if you are not in Christ, you don't have any of those blessings until you hear and believe the gospel concerning Him, concerning uh, your will to be conformed to His will, to you, for you to submit yourself to Him as your Savior. And when you do that, I, I'm, a, I'm a whosoever will guy. And we can, we, can, we can chase our tails around that tree all day long, arguing theology. But whosoever will, if you want to be saved, that is the evidence, that is all the evidence that you need that God is calling you to salvation. And God has determined that whosoever will can come. And have all of those things in Christ. Man, I don't feel like I even scratched the surface of that text. But anyway. At the end of it all, God put that plan in place. He did it before he ever created the world. He put that plan in place. And it's going to be fulfilled. It's going to come to pass. All of it's going to come to pass. There are several times that you read in this passage of Scripture, I won't go back and enumerate them all for you, that he did this for the praise of his own glory and honor. Why'd God do that? Because he's God. Why'd God do that? Because he's the only one worthy of worship. Why'd God do that? Because when anybody comes to faith in Christ, they bring glory to God. When you come to Christ, you bring glory to God. Because you bless Him for what He's done for you. As our musicians come, let's stand together. Father God, such an incredible passage of Scripture. I pray in all sincerity that all of us who are in Christ this morning will take these simple truths into our heart and dwell on them. This is how you see us. This is why you love us. This is why we're valuable. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. Because the world is perishing. Lord, I don't want anybody to leave this building this morning with an identity crisis.
I want them to know that they're either in Christ or they're not. If they're in Him, they have all of those spiritual blessings. If they're not, they don't have... chose to save completely and fully all that trust in Jesus if somebody is here this morning that's not yet trusted him I pray that today would be their day of salvation and God may, may, may we as, as believers as those that are in Christ may we praise your name before the world